Let's see. Last Monday was Lydia. Tuesday was Uncle Frank at Dad's birthday party. That didn't go over so well. Friday was Liz. She said she'd think about it. Saturday was the dude at the gym. Yesterday was John at the coffee shop. Now I just need somebody for today. Hi. How's it going? Speaking of going, do you know where you're going when you die? Uh, I don't think I can count her. Hi. Hi. Hey, uh, do you happen to know any good carpenters around here? Uh, yeah, sure. Because I, I know one from the... Nazareth that changed my life. Want to know more? Oh. <laughs> Wow, uh, i got to admit, I've never heard that one before. Oh, you haven't? Well, his name is Jesus, and you too can have a personal relationship uh, with him. No, 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 I mean, I haven't heard that line before, and I've heard a lot. I'm a pastor at Northside Grace Community Church. You just um, have to say that you're a sinner and ask him for forgiveness. Uh, Romans 6 says to us that the, the wages, wages of sin, sin is death, death but, but the free gift of God, God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, so, I know. So now, if you want to know any more about that free gift of God, you can just take this track and it'll tell you everything you need to know. Thanks. That's my boss. Uh, listen, about your delivery, you might want to think about it. Okay, wait up. Hi. Can I tell you about a blood donor who saved my life? Hi. Can I tell you about the worst line I ever heard in my life? I know you from somewhere. How do I know you? I am your conscience. <laughs> my conscience. Yeah, whatever, buddy. You don't believe me? No. How can I believe you? I mean, look, you're so old and... <laughs> well, contrary to popular belief, my friend, you are no Chris Hemsworth. Besides, I'm just a figment of your imagination, and you're not too creative. Not that creative, okay? You don't have to insult me, buddy. Uh, I don't even know who you are. And I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you forced my hand. Here's my proof. What was that? It was like I was ten years old, and my brother's dog died again. You forced my hand, bro. I call that my guilt mode. Yeah. It only works on people who still listen to their conscience, which you quit doing around about that time. Good old Peanut. He sure was a sweet puppy, wasn't he? Oh, stop it! Stop it! Hey, that was totally unfair, even for uh, a conscience. Fine. <sighs> I'm just here to help you with your New Year's resolutions. Specifically, the talk to someone new every day about Jesus resolutions. Okay, I, I don't think witnessing to my own conscience counts, but I'm kind of running out of people. Yeah, you're going to run out of people real fast if you stick with that approach. What's wrong with my approach? Tell me. What's the point about telling people about Jesus? It's evangelism, okay? You're supposed to go out and spread the good news, because Jesus said so. Did Jesus care about the people he talked to? I mean, when he was here on earth? Yeah, of course. Great. So tell me. What was the name of the last guy you just spoke to? I mean, I don't see how that's relevant. Tell me how he responded to your message. Well, you know, I really didn't get a sense of what... Are the... you actually interested in the needs of the people on that list? Are you just looking to check a name off every day? That is totally unfair, even for a conscience. How about this guy? 
yesterday, John at the coffee shop. Tell me about him. I don't, I don't know. Um, I know he doesn't like it when I put tracks in the tip jar. Oh, <laughs> Phil, 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 Phil. When you have an agenda, people can sense it. It's not sharing the good news when you're all up in some stranger's business. You ought to know. Uh, here's an idea, okay? Next time, before you start your day, ask God who he wants you to talk to. Oh, hey, I, I, I could do that. It's his spirit that's going to do the work anyway, right? So if you're out of tune with him, you're not going to get anywhere. Right, right. You know, I, I, I was actually thinking, you know, I, I could probably start talking to the guys at the coffee shop. You know, I'm in there multiple times every day. That sounds like a much better approach to spreading the gospel. Okay, but man, who am I going to use all these opening lines on? Man, come on, some of them are pretty good. Okay, 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 okay. I'm just going to go get a refill, all right? Um, hey, uh, Conscience? Yep. Thanks. You bet. Oh, um, one thing. Can I ask a favor? Do you think you could quit guilting me about the jelly donuts? I really like them. How is this supposed to work? Huh? You get to eat all the junk, and I'm the one who gets fat. Not that creative, huh? <laughs> so some of you actually that doesn't make any sense to you because you didn't grow up in an environment where we were told to share our faith but actually 50 years ago I I was part of a group where we would go into all areas of Memphis I grew up in Memphis Tennessee and we would share our faith with people and we literally would start it with lines like, "Hey, so if you died tonight, do you know where, you know, do you know where you'd end up." And I just want you to know, man, you talk about really a great way to build a relationship with people that's lasting, and it was terrible. <laughs> and I actually remember this is this is a true story. I actually remember witnessing with with friends from my church in front of the theater when The Exorcist came out telling people about Jesus and why they should go to the movie. And then I watched the movie. It was actually, actually it was a pretty good movie. <laughs> Although it scared me to death. I, you know, but it was, it was powerful. It had a statement. But it was so interesting how something that was supposed to be such good news actually became more about putting judgment on people. It's weird, isn't it? Because when you look at Jesus' life, the only people he was tough on were religious leaders, people like Kevin. So if you want to be tough on Kevin, go ahead. If you want to rip on him. But the rest of us, he was pretty easy with. And so I was thinking about this whole idea that we've been on this series, talking about what does it mean to share Jesus with people. Because I think it really is simple. Being interested in a person, which you saw in the drama, is simple. Asking questions is simple. Trying to understand what is moving in a person's heart is pretty simple. If you just stop and wait, ask questions. I thought about this last night. Garrett and Matt, the whole, the whole Valentine clan with Uncle Matt, we went to Universal last night to Blue Man Group. And I guess it was a, an exceptionally large crowd last night because it was into the Halloween horror show, which I wish, kind of wish we had gone to now. It's been fun. You guys could have heard me scream like a something. But anyway, we had a great time. But the place was jam-packed. And I thought every imaginable person was there, like from people from all over the world, and I just thought, what would Jesus have done if he had been walking through Universal last night? You know what he would have done? He would have just loved people. He would have been fascinated to be there and to enjoy people. And that was just, 
It was so alive. And so it's interesting that Jesus said to his first followers, he said, I'm going to make you, does anybody remember from this series? Fishers of men. And it's interesting. I think we've gotten scared of doing that because we've been told weird ways to communicate people or complicated ways instead of just entering into people's lives. I have never, ever in my life, when I took the time to get to know a person, ever felt awkward talking about anything. If you actually took the time to be in relationship with people, to hear what God is doing in that person's life. And I'll tell you, do you know any person, any person that isn't struggling with something? There's, no, there's nobody out there. I remember uh, just in this last week, every person I know is battling something. My grandkids are battling stuff. I have adopted grandkids that are facing huge hurdles. I've got people in my life, every staff person. It's, it's, no one is exempt from this. And here's what I want you to know today. Actually, this message was in many ways done the best by Billy Graham. And some of you are so young, you don't know who Billy Graham is, but he was a great person at just telling the simple story of Jesus. And Andy Stanley took this series that we've been in, and, and today we're culminating with simply answering two, two questions. What does a person need to know to become a Christian? Like if you were going to know yourself or tell somebody else, what is it you need to know? The second one is what does a person need to do? And I just think, man, these are, th- th- this message is something that has been transformational for Kensington through the years we've done it, every, every, you know, after a period of years. And I want you to know this. This is what I love. The answer for these two questions is the same for every person on the planet. So in the last month, I uh, had a bunch of dinners with Jaya Sankar, who was Kensington's first global partner. We've helped him start 500 churches in eastern India. Isn't that amazing? And people in India from all caste systems are coming to Christ in exactly the way that I'm going to describe it to you today. Then I was in Nepal working with the group that we're working to stop sex trafficking of young Nepali girls in, in Nepal, from the Nepal into, the, into India. And it's unbelievable. I took my daughter there before she began her law practice in New York three weeks ago. Then, Reuben Marikal, who's our partner in South Sudan, he started 29 churches in the last six years in Sudan. And I'm going to tell you a little story about him later. And then, I just got back from Greece, and I've got a story from there of people coming to Christ, of an immigrant church that just started in downtown Athens, made up of Muslim background believers that's grown to 650 people in one year. It's amazing that what Jesus is doing in the world. And the message that I'm going to give you for the next 25 minutes is exactly the same message in every one of those places. Isn't that cool? And it's this simple. And it starts with John 3.16. John 3.16 is probably the most famous verse in the Bible. Actually, people sometimes have heard this. Some people have heard it so much that they don't even hear it anymore because it's just part of their language. But for some of you today, it might be new, but it is maybe one of the most beautiful things ever written in the history of the world. But before I read it to you, here's my favorite part about this verse. You would think this verse that's been known for the last 2,000 years among believers by hundreds of millions, even billions of people that have believed in Jesus Christ have known this verse, that you think this verse must have been preached to 
20,000 people on the Sermon on the Mount or whatever. But what we know is this verse was given to how many people? One. Does anybody remember the name? Nicodemus. He's a religious leader. He came to Jesus in the night because he was afraid of what people thought. He was afraid that he would lose his credibility with people. And so he sneaks into Jesus at night because he's afraid to be seen with him during the day. And, and, and just curious, you think Jesus criticizes him for that? Not one moment. He's just glad he came. And so in this conversation, he tells Nicodemus, verse 3 actually of John 3, he says, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't know what that means. And then this is the explanation. Oh, one more thing. There, uh, before I get to John 3, one more little teaser. A lot of us were taught that becoming a Christian meant certain things. And I just want to remind you of what those are not. You are not a believer in Jesus Christ through choosing these certain things. And I want you to know that you're not, you're not, not by attending church. Attending church is not going to get you to Jesus Christ. All you're going to get today is eye candy up here <laughs> with a brilliant mind and a great message with, with uh, marginal humor. That's all you're going to get today. But when you meet Jesus, it's something altogether different. Not by Jesus, you're not going to come to, it's not by getting your life together or straightening up that's going to make you a Christian. In fact, it's interesting. I think in modern America, the reason so many people have rejected Jesus Christ is because we've told them, you need to get your life together and you need to fix this and fix this and fix that. And once you've fixed all this, then you can come to Jesus. That is the opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus simply said, follow me. That's, that was it. That was the deal. And we've made all these barriers between people. Be like, okay, change the music you listen to first. Okay, take the earrings out of your, wherever they are, out of your toenails. I don't know. We, we have all these ridiculous things. It's like, no, Jesus just simply said, follow me. So it's not by straightening your life. It's not by... Praying a prayer. There's no magic prayer to, to, that makes you a Christian, even though there's great prayers to pray. To, it, and it's not by saying, I'm going to commit myself to God. Because then it's your effort. It's like, no, your effort is not going to make you a Christian. So what is it then? It's John 3.16. Let's read it together. And you said, your job is to say the highlighted word each time I read this, okay? First highlighted word, you can see it there. For God so... Okay, hang. Say it like you mean it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Here's the thing. This is so wonderful. The Bible doesn't say, for God was so frustrated with the world that he sent his son. Or God was so angry at how rebellious people are, so he sent his son. Or God was... God, God felt such pity for us. No, it says what motivated him was, was love. This is good news, isn't it? Someone say yes. Because some of us are running from God. Some of us are caught in chronic addictions and patterns that we're discouraged about. Some of us in the room are hiding things that are destructive because we're afraid of the shame that we'll feel if other people knew. Or that, but listen, God knows. And guess what? God loves you. Somehow we think God is ticked off or after us. No, God 
came out of love. He loved us so much. That is what it's all about. Secondly, let's read it again. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When I read this again, I'm like, how did people who love Jesus get caught up in pouring judgment on other people? How did we get caught up into that? How did we get caught up in trying to modify everybody's behavior? Why didn't we just do what Jesus did? Why wouldn't we just come and go, listen, God loves you. God's given everything to you. You're, you're of infinite value to him. Because who is that going to bother? Somebody would say, well, I don't believe it. That's fine. But the message, whether it's true or not, have you ever heard a better message? God loved you so much. He gave his only son. God would have gone to the ends of the universe to find you. And you know why that's true? Those of you that are parents in this room, you, you tell me you wouldn't go to the end of the universe for your kid, Matt Bergstrom. You wouldn't go to the ends of the ends of the universe for your nieces and nephews. You'd, there's nothing you wouldn't do. That's what love does. That's what Jesus came to express. Let's love it. Isn't this great? Yeah, one person. Thinks, yeah, thank you. <laughs> so here's what I want you to remember. The first phrase I want you to remember is God loved and what. God gave. Say it again. God, God loved and God gave. Those two go together. It's not only did God give, but what did God give? What was most precious to him. God loved the world. God gave his son. Now I have a hard time. I always have had a hard time with that because Paula and I had five years of infertility. We were told by two infertility specialists we would never have children. And so when we had our first daughter... Lindy, who's 34 now, I'll be honest with you. She was like about the most pitiful kid ever born on planet Earth. I mean, she was just pitiful. And I remember looking at her and going, honey, I remember really thinking this. And she wasn't as pitiful as, as I imagined, but it, she, she was just so helpless and so skinny and scrawny and it was a terrible nightmarish delivery. And I remember looking at her and I remember really thinking, there's nothing I won't do protect you if I can, to love you. Like even if no one ever loved you, it wouldn't matter to me. You're, you're perfect in my eyes. That's how God feels about you and how he feels about me. Can you imagine that? I'm 63 years old now, and I know that's hard to believe as young and good looking as I am, but I look in the mirror sometimes and I'm like, it's really hard to believe that God would love this now. But you know what he does? My son came to me about four years ago, and I'd been noticing some things. He'd been, been a missionary with YWAM for a couple of years, and he was back doing a little college. He was helping a ministry start at Oakland University where Kevin Valentine is a very famous golf alum from there. They still have a, they have a statue at Oakland University of Kevin uh, with his golf clubs. But um, Jeff said, Dad, I... He says, I think you'd notice, but he says, yeah, I've been really depressed. He said, it's been about two years. He said, I wake up and in the morning, I'm having a hard time going to, to sleep at night, filled with anxiety. And he said, honestly, most, most days I don't want to live. 
And my first thought was, my first feeling, of course, was what? Just love. I love you. My second thought was, why didn't you tell me sooner? Well, you feel shame, right? When you go through stuff like that, everybody goes through it. You feel shame. You want other people to know. So I just weep with him. We've been an interesting journey. And I'm encouraged to say that the last year has been really good. He's doing a lot better. And he's really been been battling through that. But there's nothing that I wouldn't do to express love or to go or to give to to Jeff or to Lindy. Or honestly, to a lot of you who have been friends of mine. This is what love does. God loved and God gave. Say it with me again. God loved and God gave. Reuben Call, who's one of my really, really good friends, and he's, he leads the ministry. He's a Pocot tribesman from Kenya. So a lot of you know about our Hope Water Project. A lot of you have run. Some of you run for that, haven't you? Yeah, there's a few of you out there. The um, Reuben went from the land of the Pocot, northern Kenya, to South Sudan. It's actually a two-day drive on the worst roads of the world. He originally, back in 2012, took his daughter... I mean, took his wife, and then they had their first son, and they had their second child. She's pregnant with a third. About three years ago, he realized it was just way too dangerous for them to be there. So they're back living in northern Kenya, and he's, he's two days' drive away in the worst roads in the world. And in African culture, it's not cool for a man to cry in front of his wife. And I've actually talked to him and said, dude, wouldn't it be cool if Christian, Christian leaders in Africa could change that a little bit, where it would be okay to really express how you feel. Because Reuben says that almost every time, he's away often for two months at a time. He'll come back for a week or two to see his family. And he goes back to South Sudan. And guys, it's impossible to describe how dangerous it is. Literally every time he gets in his car. Sorry, I scared you. I thought I was coming out of you. I'll teach you to fall asleep on the front row. I'm spitting on you anyway. So, so he literally gets in his car out of Kapoweta, the city where he lives. And when he goes out to the villages to preach to all these communities and the tribal groups that he's leading, he does not know if he's going to come back alive. Literally, every single day, he gets in the car. He doesn't know if he's going to be hijacked by kidnappers or killed by army factions or by rebels uh, that, are, that live in the mountains, mountainous region around there. He literally doesn't know if he's going to live or die. And so when he leaves Kenya now, leaves his wife and his kids, he says, Lois, his wife, who's incredible, she's a warrior for Christ. She weeps, and he's very stoic. And he said almost every time he'll drive for about an hour out of Kapanguria, and he gets out into the desert area, he'll pull the car over. He'll, he'll just pull it over, and he'll just sit there, and he says, and he'll cry for about a half hour. And then he goes on. He does it because God loved and, and God gave. That's the whole motivation. This is the most powerful force, the most powerful thing in the universe. It's God's love and God's giving to us. There's nothing like it. And that's all you need to know. That is literally all you need to know. You don't need in all 66 verses of the Bible. You don't have to know why Paul wrote certain things about women in the New Testament, understand the cultural context for that. You don't understand about all the wars that took place in the Old Testament and 
groups that God, you don't need to under, you just need to know that the whole point in the end was that God was preparing us to know that he loved humanity. God loved, let's say it, God loved and God gave. That's all you need to know. God loved the world and God gave his son. And he wasn't ticked. He wasn't trying to chastise us. He wasn't chasing us to punish us. He was chasing us to rescue us. You ever done that with one of your kids? Your little kids are now I got my grandkids. They're running out in the road. What do you do? You're running, and boy, to see me run is pretty pathetic. But my, you know, got my my two year old was almost in traffic the other day, and I walked up and grabbed grabbed his T-shirt from behind and and flung him flung him back because he was the car was coming. You know, I wasn't I wasn't interested in punishing him. By the way, the coolest thing about being a grandparent. It's like discipline's out the window. You don't even think about it anymore. Like, whatever. My daughters will be like, Dad, you're in timeout now. Over here, timeout for 15 minutes before you can come back to the grandkids. Literally, that's what it's like. No, you chase to save, to rescue, to protect. So God loved, God gave. John 3.16. Let's read it. Third time. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life this this phrase believes in is from the greek the greek word for believe literally means to trust that's why this this stool is very very helpful because you could say i believe this stool can hold me that's not the kind of belief it's not an intellectual belief i believe you know something about science you know i'm you know it's you you have a belief it's a mental ascent that's not what's talking about this is this word, this Greek word, implies trust. Like I'm, I'm willing to put myself in your hands. It's like a, you guys remember doing the trust fall? You know where the person would stand? You literally do it, you guys, you four right here. Let's go. <laughs> Actually, probably break my back. But we do the trust fall, and you like people like, no way, say, do you believe we'll catch you? And they're like, yeah, we believe. And okay, fall, and the person would get up there, and then they bend or whatever. They'd be afraid to do it. No, th- this kind of belief is this kind of belief. Now I believe it. Even though Kevin has been trying to kill me all weekend with overdoses of food. We went to Hibachi last night, and literally I've been regurgitating that all morning still. Uh, it was awesome. And, uh, but now no one will ever question whether I believe this stool can hold me. Now I thought earlier, wouldn't it be hilarious if I was doing this and someone created a stool where it would collapse under me? Come on. That would be hilarious. I'd probably be dead, but you would never forget it. The, the believe. So, so it, it's, it's true trust. So God loved, God gave, we believe. Let's say that together. God loved, God gave, we believe in. That's actually the phrase, but we, we shortened it to say God loved, God gave, we believe. Let's say it together. Let's like we mean it. God loved, God gave, we believe. If you're, even if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to believe in him. It's, it's receiving his promise. It's like when you're given a gift, you take it. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, one more. Let's read it one more time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You guys are great. I should, I should take you all on the road with me. Eternal life means Getting life, having life. And it's not just life forever, which, by the way, 
As I'm older, I think life forever is a lot more interesting than it used to be when I was 20. This is to live forever with Jesus. But that life starts now. It starts the moment you have Jesus. And life begins to change. It's interesting. When I, was, uh, when I, when I received Jesus and I got eternal life, I was five years old. It was probably 3 o'clock in the morning. And I was waking up every night with nightmares, screaming in my room, five years of age. And my mom would come in. My dad had never came in at three. Uh, he was racked out, I think. I could hear him snoring. But that's probably what was my nightmare, was him snoring in the other room and thinking it was monsters. And she would come in, and she came in night after night. I remember it. And I, I actually had dreams and visions of Satan standing in the doorway of my room, to my room. It was, it was horrible. It was vivid. I could still remember the the horrible terror that I felt. I'm not sure why I had those. And one night, I don't know if mom was tired of whatever, you know, of getting up every night. I remember what she said. I mean, remember every, every, nearly every single word. She said, Steve, she says, you know that Jesus came and lived among us, died on the cross, and rose again from the dead so that you would never have to be afraid in the dark ever again. I'm five years old. She said, do you want to let Jesus know you want him in your life? Do you want to receive him? And I'm like, yeah. I prayed to receive Christ. Never had another nightmare. Was never afraid in the dark ever again. Is that not crazy? That's what God did for me. Then, when I was 13, I was kind of needed again to connect with Jesus as, a, as an emerging adult, and my language had gotten rough, playing sports and everything. And I re, I, That was where I recommitted my life to Jesus, and he instantly started to change my language. He's been changing me all along the way. You know, one of the things that, looking back now, I wish I hadn't been so blind to, I wish I hadn't been so blind to justice issues in the world. I've gone back and I read the New Testament now again, and I realize... Jesus' heart for justice. And I look back, why wasn't he showing, like, why wasn't I more aware of that then? In other words, he's continuing to change me with his life, handling temptation differently. I share this. I just be as, be, be as vulnerable as I can. The last, about a year and a half ago, I found myself watching movies on Netflix and Amazon Prime on my iPad and my iPhone that I shouldn't have been watching. Like, excusing myself, well, it's a good movie, whatever but would have nudity or violence, you know, and just things that were not helpful for me. And nobody else was paying, nobody else was watching what I was watching on my iPad and my iPhone. And I, tr- and I tried to stop several different times from doing it. But I find myself, after a couple weeks, I'd slip back in and start watching some movie. So finally, you know what I did? I'm the leader of Kensington. I've been a Christian for 57 years, since I was five. But I'm, I'm falling into temptation. So I asked my son-in-law and one of my best friends, Jeff Four. I said, I want you to install, there's one of the apps that we use was Covenant Eyes. I said, I want you to, I want you to install this on my phone because I, I, I don't want to go anywhere on my iPad or my iPhone that you two guys don't know where I've been. I want you to see everything that I'm seeing on my, my iPad and my iPhone. But you know what? Everything in me did not want to do that. Does that make sense? Especially the guys in the room. There's not one part of me that goes, you know what would be really cool? It would be really cool to go to a couple of men in my life that I love 
and say, hey, I'm, I'm, having a, I'm having a problem going where I shouldn't be going on this, and I, and I need to be accountable to you. Everything in me wanted to reject that. Can someone just affirm that you would feel the same way? Hello? Yeah. It's been a year, and it's amazing. It's amazing to live in accountability with people who love me, who would give their lives for me, and who know my life. It's exactly what Jesus would do. Only he's given people to do that in my life. That's a part of the transformation of my life, is not living a self-sufficient, isolated life. Is continually going back into community. It's an amazing thing. I hope that's helpful to you. I do that with my money. I have a couple of people that, that I don't make one financial decision without their advice for, for Paula and me. I, I, do it, uh, I, I do it. I have a group that I do Weight Watchers with, which, by the way, they don't live in Orlando. It's been a bad week. I need to get back to Detroit. In other words, it's really living this life of receiving life and living differently. So now you know it. That's it. Do, do, you know what you, do you know what you need to know to become a Christian? God. That's it. Three-year-old knows that. A three-year-old could understand that God sent his son into the world. It's amazing. The second thing. Now, what do you need to do? You need to believe. You need to have. Okay, so this is how we did it. We were going to say God loved, God gave, we believed, we have. Because it, it rhymes. No, that's stupid. I'm not, not going to do that. So we changed it. And I want you to repeat this. This is what I want you to remember today. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. Let's say it together. God loved, God gave, we, we receive. This is all you need to know and do. This is amazing to me. This would summarize the heart of the Bible and what the Bible was leading to. And this is what I want you to know. God did all of this. I just want to say it again. Out of love. And here's the beautiful part. You could walk out of this beautiful room in a few minutes and go, yeah, that's bull. That's just bull. I'm not, I don't buy that. I don't buy that by Jesus. I'm not going to believe. I'm going to walk away. The amazing thing is none of it would stop his love reaching for you. I remember when uh, my second daughter went to France and she she just rebelled really really hard, and uh, I, won't, I won't give you the whole story, but man, it was tough. And it wasn't like a sneaky rebellion; it was more like a flipping the bird to you right in front of your face. That's what it was like. And she went to France as an exchange student, and I remember having a phone conversation on a landline. Anybody, you remember ever trying to do that? international flight and you have a click and you have like a second and a half delay it's almost impossible to have a conversation and she was making some really tough choices and I remember saying to her Nancy I said I said the direction you're going in I said in 10 years I don't even know if we'll know each other it just I mean and I said, I want you to know something. I said, I'll never stop loving you. I mean, wherever you go, I mean, I, I, I won't stop loving you. I won't stop seeking to do, do what I can. Now, there's a certain point where certain roads you're going to go down. I'm not, I'm not going to go down. But I'll keep looking. I'll keep searching. I'll, I'll keep looking to find you if I can. 
I thought that's, that's what Jesus done for every living being. Every person in that crowd at Universal last night, there's not one person in that crowd Jesus wouldn't go to the ends of the universe to find he would, or to find you. So why would that be weird to tell people that God loved and God gave and that all they have to do is believe and receive? It's pretty neat. Something to think about. So in closing, I want to just finish with one more verse because I want you to remember this. This goes with, the, with John. And again, remember Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he finishes after saying God loved, God gave, we believe we received that, that verse, John 3.16. John 3.17 finishes this way. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Like he just came to save us. We already know the world's broken. My gosh, is it not depressing to read the news? The downside of modern digital world is you just you get bad news instantaneously, and it just overwhelms me sometimes. I know the world is broken. Jesus didn't come to say, hey, you stupid world, you're just stupid, you're broken. No, he came and said, I love you, and I want to make you whole. Man, that's a great message to have. So as we finish this, I just want you to see it again. God loved in spite of what? In spite of ourselves. God gave when what? We don't deserve it. He didn't say you got to deserve it, you got to earn it, i got to win my way. No. He says we believe with what kind of faith? Maybe the greatest faith moment of my life was when I was five. And I was scared in my bed at three in the morning. Maybe that was my greatest act of wisdom in my whole life. But I knew that Jesus had come for me. And then we received eternal life. Here's what I want to, I just want to finish before. Um, I was in Athens. I took 30 people to Athens uh, to retrace Paul's missionary journey. Absolutely amazing trip. Fred Mateer, some, some of you guys know Fred. Fred and I did the trip 15 years ago with a group from Spring Hill Camps, and I took, took a group of 30 people from uh, up north, Kensington up north, and um, we had this incredible experience. But you know what the best moment was? God reminded me that he's moving in the world. Because I thought, it's the same Jesus working in South Sudan with Reuben, Jaya in India, Ramesh and the team in Nepal, the, the team we're working with in uh, Athens, Greece, it's welcoming all the hundreds of thousands of, of immigrants that are coming into Greece looking for a better life, trying to find their way into Europe, and they're all broken, they're scared to death, and they're seeing these churches start. It's the same Jesus that's here with us today by his Holy Spirit. Same Jesus. So we're at a hotel in Athens, and it's one of our last days on the trip, and we're having breakfast in the in the, the, the restaurant of the hotel, and it's, and it's a buffet, and so it's jam-packed, and there's no seats. I sit down next to John Cummings, one of, one of the guys that is at Kensington, and I was actually telling Alan about it. About 10 years ago, John went through a, John was a very successful guy, went through a terrible divorce, just broke him, broke his ex-wife, their kids, and it just laid John out, and he turned to Jesus. And he's just become this incredible guy. He's fighting, he's on three different groups that fight human trafficking around the world and in Detroit. In fact, you know what he did at his business uh, Friday night? I, forgot to, I think I forgot to tell you. He organized a six-fight boxing bout and invited people to come and sold tickets, and all the money was going to go to fight trafficking in Detroit because Detroit's become one of the trafficking centers of the United States. People are coming in through Canada. It's become a huge problem. And this guy's become a warrior for the marginalized. So we're sitting together at breakfast in Athens, 
And these two beautiful young Chinese women in their early 20s come and sit next to us. And at first I was kind of surprised, but then I realized the place was packed, and we were probably their last choice. They sit down next to us. And John immediately goes, yeah, so what kind of tour are you guys on? Because most people in Greece are not on biblical tours. They're on ancient, archaeological, ancient Greece, Roman kind of tours. And they go, no, we're on, we're on a Bible tour. And John goes, well, how did you guys become followers of Jesus? How did you become believers in Jesus? And it was so cool. It was just one of those amazing moments. The one girl, again, the girls are probably 22, 23 years old. The first girl goes, well, I grew up in Shanghai, and I got accepted to Columbia University in New York. Now, first of all, how elite does she have to be for that to happen? Like, that's one in, who knows, it's, you know, the Ivy League. Although we do have an Ivy Leaguer this next year uh, going to Brown University right there, baby, my guy. So pretty cool. So she goes to Columbia University, which you guys know is a hotbed of Christianity in the world. I mean, that's where people go to meet Jesus Christ is Columbia University in New York. So she gets invited on a retreat. She never heard of Jesus. She goes, I went on this retreat, and I heard the story. God loved. God gave. We believe we received. She said, I received Christ into my life. And the rest is history. She's serving Christ. She's back in, in Shanghai. She's serving Christ. She's following Jesus. John turns to the other young woman. He goes, well, how did, how did you become a believer in Jesus? She goes, I was at university in Shanghai. And she said, someone, I don't remember, someone just like on the street gave me a Bible. And I went back, went back, and I started reading it. And I became a believer in Jesus and, and, the, whole, and the whole work. She says, I'm the first believer in, in all the history of my family. And I thought, Jesus is alive everywhere. And the message is so simple. Let's say it one more time. God loved. God, we believe. We receive. Come on, now let's say it like we really mean it. Ready? God loved. God, we believe. We receive. That's all you need to know. And that's what people need to know. I think those people milling around at Universal last night, they're all there to have fun. They're looking for a little escape, a little fun. They're all looking for the same thing. Am I loved? Does my life have meaning? Does, am I cared for? Is there meaning in the universe? And the answer is yes. God loves you and God gave so you would know that that's true. So let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this beautiful group of people. What a joy to be here today and just to share this. And as we're... Uh, kind of just wrapping up this day, I was thinking of how nothing stopped you from coming to find us and that the greatest privilege in life is getting to feel your love. And just, Lord, let us in the next few minutes feel it. Feel how much compassion that took you to the cross, that you saw us as the end goal to just love us and to care for us. And I was thinking, Lord, just last night, about all the nations at Universal, just milling around, gathered people from everywhere. And I thought of Paul in Athens two centuries ago, two, two millennia ago, preaching to the, the, the intelligence uh, community of Athens and how he said, from one man, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek him like God did all this so that we'd seek him. And the Lord, I was just thinking, we're here today seeking you, wanting to, to know you, wanting to know that you loved and that you gave, that you came for us. And Paul goes on to say and that we would perhaps, perhaps 
reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Lord, as we wrap up this day, I was just thinking you came close. You came near. You're not far from any one of us in this room. You came near, you, and you went through hell to show us that you loved and cared for us. And so as we respond today, we just want to remember together at the end of this day to say thank you for, for loving and giving. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to believe and receive And, Lord, we're strategically planted in Orlando with so many people coming from around the world to share your love and your message. I just pray for this team of people that you would give them open hearts of joy to share the best news that's ever been shared in the history of the world. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.